I'm excited uh, this morning because I got to do my favorite uh, core value of the Alliance. Now, I made most of my bosses regret that they chose that as a core value because I think it's the core value that's neglected the most. How often has God called his church to do more than they're doing? And we believed that the missionaries could do it in Africa. And we believed that God had done it in the history. But we went the safe route and called it wisdom. So I'd just like to read it again. It says, achieving God's purposes, right? God's purposes. Not our purposes. Not First Alliance kingdom purposes, but God's purposes. Means taking faith-filled risk. And then it gets really nasty. It always involves change. Right? My, uh, my lovely wife, she said I'm not allowed to call her hot anymore. She said, <laughs> so uh, my lovely wife um, went to go shopping. Now, you need to know something about Alice. She is literally my opposite. And she has a to-do list. And that to-do list for that day is set and concrete. And she figures out her time that she wants to do it. And so on this particular day, she was shopping. And she's going down the aisle, and she hears on the other aisle somebody speaking African French and trying to figure out products. And she's stuck in a dilemma. Do I pretend like I don't hear it? Or do I go over, introduce myself, help them if they need help? Because I know this will cost me. That to-do list is gone. Not just for today, but friendship among Africans is serious. And she remembers having to make that decision, and she finally made it and went over and talked to them. She met Ami from Cote d'Ivoire. Is Al here? No. Now, it worked out good for me because she makes really good futu. And so I get to eat good Ivoirian food. But it has cost my wife not hours and not days, but literally weeks. 
She had failing kidneys. She cannot speak English. She went for her uh, dialysis. We didn't hear anything from her, which was actually uncommon. The next morning, the next morning, 24 hours later, we get a phone call. Can you help me figure out what's going on? We said, well, what are you talking about? She said, oh, they put me on a gurney in the hallway, and I've been here for 24 hours. They put Alice on the phone, and the doctor was there in five minutes. Speaking out on behalf of those that can't speak for themselves. But it cost. And how often are we going, and we see need all the time, but sometimes God says, there. And we have our to-do list. And we have everything else, and we have to decide which are we going to do that day. And if we don't do the if we don't do it, nobody ever knows, right? And it doesn't cost us. You know, they talk about the Good Samaritan. He had to pay the hotel bill. He had to buy food. It cost him. It cost him to take a faith-filled risk. Believing that God was going to supply time, energy, and finances to be able to help the person that he wanted. I'd like to look at a story today found in Acts chapter 3 if you have your Bibles. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man that was lame from birth was being carried to the temple called Beautiful, and where he was put every day to beg to those going to the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John enter, about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, here's the thing. We lived in Burkina Faso. And every Friday, when the mosque was open, the roads around the mosque were lined with disabled people to get money. So my guess... At the gate called Beautiful, around the three o'clock prayer, was lined with people, right? Probably hundreds. And Peter and John are going to work. Now stop and think about this. Peter just preached and had 3,000 people come to Christ, right? Literally verses ahead of that. Meaning that now Peter was a megachurch pastor. Leading a worldwide movement, right? He did not have time 
And they were probably late to get to the prayer. And everyone was going to notice when they walked in late, right? I mean, this is a story. But God speaks to them and says, that one, right? And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. I found that interesting. That he called on the disabled person to start by looking at him. You know why? That's the beginning of relationship. And a lot of the faith-filled risks that God is asking us to do starts with relationship. A couple, year, a couple months ago, there was uh, a professional uh, woman uh, soccer player and uh, a little boy came up for her to sign the soccer ball. You all probably saw this and they are attacking her and that's not my point. And she signed it and never looked once at the little boy. She didn't have time to build that relationship. And so I find it significant that Peter starts first by saying, look at me. And then he says something crazy. He says, silver and gold. I do not have. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Amen? Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he did. That point when he said that is significant. Because what if he didn't stand up and walk? Right? How many times have we not did something because we're like, God, is he going to stand up and walk this time? What if he didn't get up and walk? So the easiest thing for Peter and John to say is, hey, we don't have any money. Sorry, maybe next time. That would have been acceptable, right? Or if he had a penny or two, give the penny or two. But that's not what he did. That disabled person did not need money. That disabled person needed legs. Right? But so often in the church, we see people in need. And we do what's easy. And then we give them alms. When what they really need 
is legs. But to get him legs involves faith. So my challenge to you guys this morning. There's need in this room. There are those who are sick. But more than that, there are those that are broken. Are we seeking by faith to help people with their real problems? Or are we trying to put a band-aid on it? Are we willing to go to the hard places with the hurting or those that are hiding in shame. The addict. I promise you that there have been people who have come and sat where you have sat, have sat beside you, and maybe you. And are seriously struggling. But you're choosing the to-do list. Let me pray for you. Hope you're better. Rather than stepping into life with them and walking alongside them. That takes faith. And it will cost you. And so Peter and John asked them to look at him, which is relationship. Then they proclaim, get up and walk. But it doesn't stop there. They actually help them to their feet. Right? They anticipated the power of God to come in and change the impossible. Right? And they, this person just didn't walk. They leaped. We are not accessing the power of God that he wants to give because we, were pleased, we refuse to proclaim it. Amen? Amen? How much more does God want to do among us?
I'm taking, I'm working on my doctorate, as many of you know, and I took the, my last class was actually studying on how the church could be effective in this next generation. And the, you know what the, the, the basic crux of the class said is that we need to get more real. And we need to be able to walk in love with those that are hurting. They don't care about the color of the paper. They don't care if the music's in, in, in tune. They don't care what Greek is used in the sermon or how beautiful it's done. And you guys are lucky because not many people I've heard pre preaching out there. And you all don't know how lucky you are because some preaching is just not that effective. But that's not what's going to change people's lives. It's when we get real and we walk with somebody in their pain. And that involves faith. And then we access the power of God to see things happen. Now, I'm a little hard-headed and a little dense, and I'm definitely, um, well, my, uh, one of my army buddies is here today, Johnny. Uh, we were infantry, and we took hills. And sometimes I'm so serious about taking a hill that I forget about a wounded buddy. But sometimes God gets through to me. So I'm in my office. My wife calls me and says, our one neighbor was going down the road and saw a stray dog and brought it back to her yard and then went to work. The stray dog wandered into the other neighbor's yard who has a phobia, him and his entire family, of dogs, and they couldn't leave the house. So they had finally, there was a car parked. They ran out and jumped in the car to take the kids to the school bus. So my wife calls me and says, can you go over there? and try to get the dog away from their yard. Really? Are you serious? That's, I have time for a stray dog? Right? And the Lord says, it's not about the stray dog, it's about the children that are afraid to leave the house. So I put on my shoes, and I walk out, and it's this sweet little um, pit bull that's about this big. And uh, she was scared of me at first, but I finally got her and got her away. And then she wanted to follow me wherever I went. And by the way, like we didn't have enough people living in our house. My daughter and my wife fell in love with Daisy Who, by the way, is not potty trained? <laughs> we were so excited. We got uh, all my birthdays, anniversaries, and everything. I, I saved all of my money because I got tired of sweeping up the floor and got one of those Roombas. We got a really good deal on it. Yeah, they're not made to clean up after dogs.
The neighbor that picked up the dog is from Bangladesh. And she is a Muslim. She's married to a Christian man who, by the way, became part of a church. One, it felt like he was led to be part of the worship team. They had a school you had to go through. He went through the whole school, and a year and a half later, he had never been asked to do anything in worship. Went to them and said, why haven't you asked me? And they said, well, you're not really what the image that we want to portray. What a great testimony to that Muslim wife, huh? So Alice and I are involved in a church plant that's near there. And the pastor was my accountability partner, and he's asked me. And you all know youth ministry is a little bit like Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. And so I'm back being a youth pastor again, a part-time volunteer, but just helping this church out. And so I meet with the pastor and pray once a week. And so we were at a Dunkin' Donuts, and all of a sudden I feel arms go around me. I was actually jumped. It was my Muslim neighbor. She said, thank you for caring about that dog. Last Sunday, they went to church with us. Then she introduced herself as a Muslim. What I didn't tell you about Ami is Alice got to pray with her to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And then her husband got in trouble for drunk driving. And I got to pray with him to accept Christ. But then I had to go to court. And frankly, I think I was better than his lawyer. And then her oldest son started going to youth group and is now one of the leaders. So who is your Ami? Who has God pointed out to you to the, the disabled person beside them and said, no, you are in charge of that one? And have you put your to-do list away and realizing it's going to cost you mine, money and time and frustration. We've been frustrated. It's not easy. But anything we had to give up is not worth someone living in heaven forever. So my challenge is when is the church going to become the church where we are looking for those who are hurting and those who are addicted and those that are wounded and we are willing to do whatever it takes to walk with them and by faith and the power of God we are, not, we are willing to change and see life change. I promise you if this church is known that when you're hurting, they will walk with you, there will not be enough chairs here. 
We can talk about faith for a big vision. We can talk about faith for what the Alliance is doing. But I want to ask you about your faith and in your walk. Are you willing to give up that to-do list? I didn't plan what I want to say next. Like no other time in my whole life have I struggled with this. By faith, in the prayers of my mother, I was raised from the dead. By faith, I've seen God do Incredible things. Moving mountains is small compared to things I've seen God do. About a year and a half ago, our son Sam came to us and said, there's some boys that were on the Haitian national team and they had visas to come to the U.S. to come play the U.S. in soccer. As many of you may know, uh, Port-au-Prince um, has not left the third most, it's never been less than the third most dangerous city in the world since the conflict. In fact, the gangs rose up and killed the president. When a country fell apart, they had visas, their, money, their family scraped together money and shipped them over. And so Sam came to us and said, they want to come play on the soccer team, but they have no place to live. And I said, heck no. Where do we get money for food? I mean, do you know how much a teenage boy eats? Have y'all paid for groceries lately? Right? And, and frankly, that's the little part. These guys needed their papers. Do you know how much it costs to file some of us most simple paperwork with our U.S. government? $500! We're working with five of them! I want to confess to you When you see your savings go away, you start realizing that you're probably going to have to tap into the retirement that you've saved your whole life. I changed 
jobs to something that I really feel like God is calling me to and to the church to? I've been mean to my wife because she's the one that's had the faith. I mean, every month, do we have to figure out how God's going to pull this one off? And He has! We literally decided we're going to have to pull out our retirement. Somebody we had never known walked up and gave a check for exactly what we needed in order to do it. We sent one of the Haitian boys to Bible school. The coach said, if he comes, I have friends. If you do a GoFundMe, they'll, they'll pet cover it. The first payment comes due of $1,400. Some of you had given None of his people had given. For the first time in my life, I'm struggling to believe that God is going to supply. And see, it's no secret that one of my bucket lists that I have is that we would start to service here and six weeks later we would still be meeting continuously. That God would bring a revival. I wanted God to bring revival here. That's no secret, right? I've told you all that before, right? A revival starts with deep confession. So I can't stand up there and talk about faith and not confess that I'm struggling. See, it's not just... about is he going to supply my needs. It's whether I'm going to have to sell my car. And I like my car. You know what? I like to grab a steak now and then. So what is a faith-filled risk? So my challenge to you, I don't, I don't even want to talk to you as a church. I want to talk to you as an individual. God's called you to achieve God's goals, right? And like TJ said earlier, it's going to involve every one of us. And I'm not going to try to guess what God's speaking to you about. But if we're ever going to see his revival, it starts with us. Doing deep confession. 
And that takes faith. I mean, we can play church. I mean, this, this church can produce incredible messages and incredible worship. And we can have a lot of fun. But it's got to go deeper than that. I ask you to pray for me. Pray that I would have faith. Pray that I wouldn't love the things that God's given me. Am I willing to let my house go? Right? How much faith do you have? I'm going to ask pastor to come.